0: Rhythm Encounter, RPG fans music podcast. We have a very special interview topic today. This is Hilary Andov, and I'm here with Pat Gann. And today, we're going to be interviewing Janine Nicole, vocalist on Nier Automata. And we're here to talk to her about her experiences during that project, a little bit about that process, the assortment of concerts and arrangements of that music, and a little bit about her experiences in Japan and... I'm very excited about this, uh, her solo work. So, without further delay, welcome and very excited to be here.
1: Hi, Janique. Hi. So it is early on our end, and it is late on your end because yes, you, it is. You live in Tokyo now, is that right?
2: Yes, I, well, I. I've actually been living here for the past eight years.
1: Wow! So yeah. you you've really been living the dream
2: (laughs) i don't know if i'd say the dream but yeah for i I like living here
1: (laughs) for a lot of us uh at rpg fan i think that counts as living the dream Uh, yeah? (laughs) yeah i mean there's a lot going on in japan that i think we uh we have a strong appreciation for so a lot of our listeners are obviously familiar with you because of your incredible work on Near Automata, which people will have seen recently, the news stories that total units sold uh, has surpassed 5 million. There's a lot of excitement about this franchise with the remake of the first game. And I think there's a mobile game coming out called Near Reincarnation. And there have been, on the music side, a number of concerts. I know you've been involved with many of those. Yes. Um, I guess we'd like to get started with the question. How did you first get involved with Neurotomata?
2: Well, that's actually a really interesting story. My mom actually was she she worked with Emmy Evans on a number of occasions. For those who don't know, my mom is actually a singer as well in here in Japan. And um yeah, my mom had worked with Emmy Evans quite a few times before I myself moved to Japan as well in 2012. And so I believe that year, 2012. My mother took me on one of her gigs just trying to, you know, kind of get me, I guess, exposure into the industry so that I could, you know, make some connections. And uh, I I met Emmy on that gig and we connected and we decided to, you know, exchange information and we said we would keep in touch. But we actually didn't speak to each other again until 2016. And that was when, uh, I guess, Nier Automata was in development. And um, so I got an email from Emmy basically asking me. If I was interested in auditioning for a video game soundtrack, and I was like, sure, you know, so I went to the audition, and uh, I guess yeah, they selected me from there. So pretty much the story. Oh, that's great! I have a short follow-up question, if
0: that's all right. What? So, what is the audition process like for a video game soundtrack? Is it much different than a normal gig? I'm so curious.
2: <laughs> um, to be honest, I feel like it was pretty similar to any other gig that I've ever auditioned for. I pretty much I went to uh, Monaco Studios and uh they had me they had me basically sing some songs that they had already kind of like developed and just kind of record my voice you know on the tracks and from there i i'm trying to think how many songs did i even record that i think i might have recorded like maybe three songs that day and they sent the songs to i'm not sure if they sent them to yoko taro or i'm not sure exactly who they sent them to but you know they had to basically get Um, the okay, you know, from the producers and everything to make sure that my voice was a good fit for the game. And then not too long after that, they they called me back and they said that they liked me.
1: Yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I think, you know, anyone who's paid attention to the music when they're playing the game is pretty aware that you offer a strong contrast to Emmy. Emmy has sort of the like, wispy, breathy, ephemeral vocals, and you come in strong. Um, (laughs) Strong and soulful and just like, yeah i think correct me if i'm wrong on this um and i think hillary you'll remember but one of the earliest uh videos released for automata you know long before the game was out was a demo of the battle with simone and um Mm -hmm. a beautiful song was playing on it and you're listening to it and and you hear some singing and you go, oh yeah that's emmy evans and then you hear this other voice come in that just like (laughs) knocks you over and you're just like (laughs) oh who is that and uh you know within a few months we found out who you were and everyone definitely knew who you were after we heard the english version of weight of the world and yeah it was they made the right choice um and i'm really glad that you were able to get involved and um i didn't know that it was via emmy that you got involved but i think that's great that you know between meeting her and your mom having you know experience in the field working and singing in japan like i didn't know any of that that's really cool i wanted to ask you when you recorded beautiful song and a couple of the other songs on the game what's it like singing in a language that doesn't exist (laughs) well i guess it exists uh but it's not a spoken language commonly you know emmy's chaos language what was that like for you
2: it was really strange i'm not gonna lie it was I, I really didn't even know like, what to do. And, like when, when I received the paper with the lyrics on it, I kind of stared at it and I was just like, wait, what do I do with this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Okabe-san uh, was really, really good at guiding me. Him and uh, Hawashi-san were really, really good at guiding me as far as like, you know, what kind of intonation they wanted me to have, what kind of feeling and emotion that they wanted me to have. So um, it went pretty smoothly. Like, I, I wasn't confused for too long, I guess, <laughs> if that makes sense.
1: That's awesome that they were able to give you direction. Um, for some of our okay. listeners who don't know, Keichi Okabe is the head of Monaka Studios. Um, if you watch the concerts, he's usually uh, like an MC or concert master. Um, mm-hmm. Kego Hawashi is another composer with Monaka. If you watch the concerts, he's often playing piano, and he is also just a- an incredible writer. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, that's great that you were able to get that feedback from them on what mm-hmm. they were looking for.
0: Yeah. And it's it's great to hear that, you know, you're getting that great direction and great composition. That's exciting. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. As a follow up question, I learned a little bit about how chaos languages sort of evolved. It was kind of a mishmash of languages at first for like, Song of the Ancients and the early songs. And then. It kind of turned into having a guiding language behind each track. Would you, ever consider, yes. <laughs> would you ever consider writing in it? And if so, do you have a language you'd want to use? That's,
2: that's a really interesting question. Um, I guess, yeah, I, I, I would like to explore that because it's definitely, um, I think it's a really cool, like versatile skill to have. And I really admire Emmy for being able to do that. And it's not something that I've ever tried before. So if I was ever given the opportunity, I would definitely like to. And I'd probably like to explore something like, like Swahili or or something like that, like an African language. I think that 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 would be really cool. Yeah, Swahili is great. Yeah,
1: (laughs) right. Because a lot of, again, a lot of the background or source languages used to develop the Chaos Language songs were um, European and then Japanese. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what Emmy's familiar with, which is awesome. But to bring languages from Africa or from Central Asia, there are a lot of opportunities that as soon as you said it, and I've literally never thought about it before. I'm like, whoa, this is a great idea.
2: Awesome. Yeah, so, I- Oh go ahead, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm.
1: No, no, you go ahead. You're the guest. <laughs> You're awesome. We like your idea.
2: <laughs> no, I was just I was just gonna say I, I definitely agree. Like I, I just I, I think it'd be really cool to just kind of broaden the horizons of, of the languages used in the game.
1: Yeah, I think so as well. For
3: sure.
1: Which brings us to your English uh debut. Anyone who's played Automata through to the end or even just the first of the endings is deeply familiar with and probably emotionally moved by the English version of weight of the world, which is the first version that players are exposed to in ending a, and I don't know about you, Hillary. I cried.
0: (laughs) I I (laughs) got (laughs) emotional for sure. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I got a little worked up. I cried. And, uh, it's happening again. Aww.
3: <laughs> it, it is a we very, wanted... very
0: emotional game. We Actually, I'll, I'll admit, in our household, we just got through ending E very recently, so it's all very fresh. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's where, it, that's where it hits you real good mm. when you get the true ending. Um, wow. So, Weight of the World, in its English version, we know that you wrote the lyrics to it, but we've also read up on past interviews that you've done, and we're certainly familiar with they had given you some source notes to work with, and there was a lot of back and forth with it. We're Mm -hmm. wondering, in its final version, are you pleased with what you got out of it? And is there anything from that experience where you're like, oh, I had a really great lyric, but they had me change it?
2: Actually, no. For the most part, I feel like everything that they did, all of the edits that they made, it was for a reason for sure. Like initially um there was kind of a a miscommunication at one point with the melody i thought that there was like an extra beat on on at the end of one of the phrases or something so i added like an extra word and they were like what is this like why did you do that and i was like oh i thought that like you know you wanted it to be like that like you wanted me to add this extra word and they were like no actually can you just keep it like straight like just you know shorter and i was like oh okay sure that's that's fine and then uh on some of the um, some of the parts, they were kind of like just correcting um, correcting my English, which I thought was interesting because you know English is my native you know language obviously, <laughs> but you know for them I think you know Japanese is their native language. So I was like, huh, I'm being corrected, you know, by <laughs> you know what I mean. But I think part of it is you know sometimes when you sing, you're not necessarily using correct English, you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. like you might be using kind of slang or something. So I think I might have thrown some slang into. The lyrics, and they were kind of like, Oh actually, can you not do that? Can you just like keep it simple?" And I was like, "Okay, sure." So uh, when I changed it and I looked at you know the final product, I was actually really proud of what I had. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's great. Like not to you know toot my own horn or anything, but I'm I'm pretty proud of it.
1: I think there were a lot of bold choices in the in the English lyrics, like asking questions about redemption. When you say things like, "God, are you punishing me? Is this the price I'm paying for my past mistakes?" and then I all, also love the line in the chorus there's something i don't know if it has to do with identifying a specific gender because of mm. the character to be but like when you said the truth is that i'm only one girl like something mm. about that is very powerful to me and i was glad that they didn't keep it too abstract that they like let you sing as though you were speaking as a person mm,
3: mm-hmm.
2: which um you know in the notes for the most part that's kind of what they had. like i all I did was like take whatever notes they had and just make it more poetic. So I I think maybe maybe the gender was actually in the notes, if I'm not mistaken. It's been so long. It's been what, like five years since almost yeah. five years. So yeah. so yeah, I, I wanna say um I think it I think it was in the, the notes. Pretty sure. Interesting. That's cool to find out more about the process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think back on it because it's been so long. I'm like, what did I, what did I
1: do? <laughs> <laughs> so readers of our site will know that we've been pretty well on top of the Blu-ray releases that have been coming out really frequently from Square Enix. There have been four concerts that have been released on Blu-ray for Near and Near Automata. We've covered three of them. There was a fourth one released like a month or two ago that we haven't gotten to yet. The 1218 12018 concert was the full orchestra concert. It featured uh, you and me pretty heavily, but we also know that outside of those Blu-ray releases that there have been tours and special shows. I believe there was one in Chicago at one point, if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken. And we wanted to get your feedback on what it's like performing at these live concerts where the audience is there for the music but they're also there because of their connection to the game and what is that experience like for you as a singer and as someone who's part of a larger collective
2: honestly it's it's very like surreal to me like i i feel like sometimes i still don't really realize how huge it is (laughs) and (laughs) Or, or like just until i get on stage and like i see like the crowds I'm just like whoa like all these people are like here to see us like this is crazy and moment of honesty i don't know if you guys know but i have announced this before but like, I, I actually have not played the game
3: yet <laughs>
2: <laughs> i and I, I go ahead
0: i was gonna say i i heard that in a previous interview and i was curious if that was still true <laughs>
2: Oh, it's still true and <laughs> i mean it's not because i don't want to it's just like i have never owned a video game console and I, i'm actually thinking about buying one though i might like once all the hype around the ps5 calms down and they're actually like more in stock i might get one and then maybe i get the game i don't know but yeah i, I still have yet to play it so it's like for me i still don't really know like the full emotional impact that the game really has on people um, but obviously like when we're on stage and we look out into the audience and we see people like crying and just like you know really going through the motions of everything that they're seeing on stage and like the lyrics that we're singing like it's definitely very like wow we really really made an impact and, and that's kind of when it's when it sets in but I think once I play the game it'll really really set in
3: yeah
1: I imagine you've seen a lot of the game though I mean between like them putting up scenes from the game, you know, as those like the projections behind the orchestra. Mm -hmm. And I imagine you have some sense of what goes on in the story, the major plot points.
3: Definitely. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. That I you know, as as good a writer and just a creative person as Yoko Taro is, and I think everybody knows that on its own, it's a little too cerebral. And so it's when you take these really heavy concepts and then mix them with these powerful aesthetics, including these, you know, the really powerful music that something special happens. And, Mm. um, I think weight of the world in all its versions, including the ending E version where you get it in every language in different pieces. And then the whole development staff is singing it in a chorus, like stuff like that is, is really powerful. So yeah, I would encourage you to play the game if you get the chance. I definitely um, want to. But, you know, sure. ev- even if you don't, I think you probably know why people are moved as deeply as they are. This is probably one of the best stories told in the last decade in the medium of video games. Uh, in my opinion, it might be the best, um, but I am biased. Um <laughs> What's the, do you feel, uh, could you detect a difference when you performed in Japan versus performing in America in terms of like the way the audience responded?
2: Well, actually, I didn't get the chance to make it to the um, American concert.
1: Oh, okay. Um,
2: which I'm really sad about, actually. Like, and I got so many messages like, oh, I, can't, I went to the concert in Chicago and you weren't there. And I, I just didn't understand why. And it's like... <laughs> I'm just like, I know I really wanted to go, but, um, uh, what happened was I was actually, um, on a, on I was already contracted to do a tour. I, I sing backing vocals for, um, Japanese artists in Japan as well. So I was already going to be on tour for like months. And then when they finally scheduled the tour dates for the, the, the near concerts, I was already, you know, like, like i told them basically like what my availability was and they weren't able to work with it so pretty much i just had to turn it down it really broke my heart broke my heart so much because it's a dream of mine to perform in my home country you know yeah so um but i i have performed in like taiwan so Mm -hmm. there's definitely a difference between performing in like outside of japan versus performing in japan
1: yeah, that's right. They did They did do sort of like a, an East Asian... Did they do a tour or did they just do Taiwan? I thought they might have also done Singapore. I might be making that I up.
2: I don't know that they've done... I don't think they've done Singapore. I know... Um, when was... Taiwan was, uh, I believe, 20... Was that 2017? I think that was 2017 when I did Taiwan. And that year we did Tokyo, Osaka in
3: taiwan i believe that was
1: it wow that's (laughs) that's heavy because that the game came out in 2017 and then that same year you got to you know three major venues and there have been different lineups for the concert you know sometimes it's like a small group like a string quartet plus piano plus guitar and -hmm. then sometimes it's like we're going all out with a choir and an orchestra yeah (laughs) and then sometimes they do those like uh those dramatic ones like memories of puppets where they come out and do these readings of scenes from the game. They've had a lot of different uh, layouts for these concerts, different set lists. And, um, but when you come out, like whether, whether you're up there solo or you're there with Emmy or you're there with Emmy and more people, (laughs) because there's a Mm -hmm. lot of different vocalists, a lot of people have been involved. Um
3: absolutely
1: it's always a special moment. I know the crowd always goes nuts when the vocalists come out. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, uh, well, yeah, for sure.
0: Relating to that, I'm I'm kind of curious. Do you since you performed on a few of these concerts, do you have a favorite format? Do you have favorite instruments or favorite instrumentation that you like to perform with live?
2: Hmm. Honestly, not really. Like I think I I I appreciate each format like for what it is. Because they all give different elements and and things, but I I will say like performing with the like full orchestra is is really really cool, like it just like you know it's just, it, I don't know it just makes me feel like I'm at like Carnegie Hall or something like it's <laughs> just really cool, so I, yeah. I definitely like that a lot.
1: It's big, and you know you have yeah. like thirty or forty people who are there to back up you, and that's gotta exactly. feel great.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it does.
1: Last year, one of my favorite albums to be released and. I didn't know if it would be my favorite because I've made comments similar to comments that actually Yoko Taro has made. I'm starting to get frustrated with Square Enix because they've just released so many arrangements and so much music for Nier. I can't keep up. Uh, But when they released the orchestral addendum album last year, I was like, what's this all about? But it was basically like, it was mostly vocal tracks that didn't make it into the Nier orchestral box set. And it featured a lot of duet work between mm-hmm. you and Emmy. And it included previously unheard duet work where they would take songs that would be just an Emmy song or just a Janique Nicole song. And then suddenly you're both singing it. And I think, you know, probably the biggest one for me was, you know, Emmy always had the voice of both Devola and Popola for Song of the Ancients. Um
3: mm-hmm.
1: And now there exists a version of Song of the Ancients where she's singing as one of the characters or one of the melodic lines and you're singing the other one. And that kind of blew me away. And I guess I have two questions. One is, did you ever do that live or is that a studio only thing? And two, did you feel like for you, did it feel like it fit?
2: You know what? Um, we, got, we the first time I did it live actually was I, I believe in twenty seventeen and we did like a um, we did a game uh, kind of festival. I forgot what that um, event was called specifically, but I, I I do remember it being in like twenty seventeen. Um, and I just remember feeling like, wait, is my voice suited for this? Like, is it is it okay? Are they going to like this, or are they going to be like, no, she doesn't? Because you know, I, I I remember when I first. Um, when it was first announced that I was singing The Weight of the World, a lot of people were like, her voice does not fit this game. You know, like they're like, she like, she sounds like a, I don't know, (laughs) like a Disney character or something. Like it just sounds like a Disney princess song. And so I was just like, I hope, you know, it's going to be received well, but it was. And so a lot of times whenever that song was performed live, they would have me sing those parts with her. And so I guess they just decided to put it on the the, the Addendum album. And um, by then, I think I was pretty used to it. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: there, there's a part of me that feels like it ought to be canon. Um, fans of the game know that Devil and Popola were not just two individual characters. They were a series of, like, androids. And mm. they have this horrible past after what happens in the events of the first Nier. To the point where there's like a genocide performed against their kind. And there are apparently only two left in Automata. I'm spoiling this. Is this okay, Hillary? No, go for <laughs> it. Yeah, good. <laughs> and so it's kind of like there are these last two left that that have survived over the eight to ten thousand years since the events of the first game. And so those two who there's a specific version of the song arranged for Near Automata that plays during a battle scene where they actually help protect uh 9S as he's trying to enter the final tower of the game and i kind of wish we could go back in time and have that recorded version with you and emmy and put it right in that spot in the game because in my opinion i think it helps to differentiate these characters who kind oh. of appear and act as twins but have really developed different. separate personalities.
0: Yeah, and there's a cutscene, if I'm not mistaken, like shortly before that scene that you're thinking of where Song of the Ancients comes in. There's a cutscene yes. that even further kind of shows how, you know, they still rely heavily on each other, but they're they're quite different when you look mm. at their, you know, internal monologue.
1: Yeah, so I don't know. If they ever, if they decide in t- 2027 to make their own remaster... <laughs> <laughs> like they're doing a remaster now the first game uh, someone should have the bread idea to be like hey remember that recording we did with uh abby and janique let's just use that
2: <laughs> <laughs> maybe they will i think that'd be a really cool idea like yeah. maybe you guys should like like make a petition and like have a bunch of people sign it
1: <laughs> yeah it's on it's maybe on change.org already we're working on it. oh wow okay. no we're <laughs> <laughs> um another track that you quote on orchestra addendum that this was your territory. Now, of course, way to the world, lots of people sing it and they would sing it in the languages that they had. And Emmy had her chaos language version, but on addendum, the English only version exists where you guys do it as a duet and you're, and you're literally trading lines, you know, every, every two measures or every four measures, it's going back, and forth between you and Emmy, what was that like? And how do you think that felt in terms of meshing?
2: I think once we finally, like initially, I think because I'm used to singing the song all by myself, I kept, when we were rehearsing it, I kept like singing, like I wouldn't stop singing. And like, (laughs) she'd be trying to come in and I'd be like, oh shoot. I like, it's her part now. Like I have to,
3: you know? (laughs) Yeah.
2: So once I got over that, I
1: think it came together really well. Yeah, the, really the end product is great. That's funny that, yeah, it's like, hey, this is this is my song. And then it's like, oh, 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 right. You're doing this part. Got it.
2: <laughs> yeah, but she, she said she kind of had a, a similar feeling for Ashes of Dreams as well.
1: Like we were both just right? like, oh you, yeah, mm-hmm. we're
2: sharing this. Like, I
1: forgot about that. Yeah, another mm-hmm. great duet on there is when you guys do Ashes of Dreams, uh, the English version, which is the ending theme song for the first Nier. Yeah, you guys did a duet of that on addendum as well. And I guess, yeah, she must have that role got reversed for her where she's like, Oh, I gotta stop. This is <laughs> this is <Janine's> part.
2: <laughs> I you know I, with that one, I feel like she sings it so beautifully. I feel I personally was like, I have no business on the song. But you know,
1: I always I, felt, and, I always felt from a compositional standpoint that was a song that was always built for you know a really powerful vocal presence and really? yeah and of course Emmy can do that but when i heard you singing on it i was like this works like this really works thank you and especially the english version like you know she she comes at it from a different perspective in the different languages and i feel like english was the one where it was like it really had a space to be less of that breathy withheld thing that emmy does so well um and more of just this like in your face let's do it and like Hmm. i really like your inclusion on that version i'm just gonna say thank
2: you i really appreciate it and it's funny because um when i was in the studio doing it they were trying to guide me to like sing it more like emmy in a way like can you can you kind of sing it more like quiet and soft and Great. I was can like, I don't I I don't do quiet and soft. Like I don't <laughs> <you know? laughs> I mean I can. I mean I, I do I do think that I'm a versatile singer, but for me to like just sing an entire song like that, I was just like, yeah. whoa, I don't I don't know. I tried my best, but well you know.
1: in the final analysis, I think it's safe to say that you bring you bring a good dynamic to it, which is to say, in some of the melodic strains, like you know how to reserve some of that strength and you know that you're coming at it at you know 20 percent of instead of hundred percent but then you know when the song builds or even you know after or near the end of the chorus where you're getting these really interesting chord progressions and melodies over it like Mm -hmm. that soulfulness comes out and suddenly you're at like 80 90 percent it's like (laughs) well emmy didn't take it there and of course she didn't because that's not what she was going for but when you did i was like yep Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> this is good.
0: <laughs> and I think that's... Well, one I'm of the glad th- you appreciate it. Yeah, very much. And I think that's one of the things that makes that album so cool and special. is so there's a lot of beautiful duet work, and you get to see some of those songs from a different perspective. Absolutely. I wish
1: they had named the album differently. Like, Orchestra Addendum is, is kind of like, how do you sell an album like that? But of course, the cover artwork shows Devil and Popla. And when I look at them, I think emmy and janique and they could have just named <laughs> uh, it like vocal duet <laughs> album or something Vocal
2: duet. And I, 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 I understand it though like i, I get it like addendum it's kind of like okay you know we're i don't know i guess making adjustments to the original or something like that like yeah i i, I understand it but it does seem kind of lackluster maybe like yeah
1: i feel like you could have more you could uh market it better if you're like mm. emmy and janique kick butt the <laughs> album <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's hilarious i like it i do too
1: <laughs> so janine uh i you know i'm i think everyone listening here can make a pretty safe assumption something that we already know is, is that uh, i'm obsessed with these games and i love the music i've written reviews for almost every soundtrack released um official and unofficial for That's the awesome. near series so i'm a huge fan and i'm wondering for you that the term fandom uh has some negative connotations on certain parts of the internet uh often where you find certain levels of toxicity or controllingness from the fan base mm-hmm. we see this with larger fandoms like star wars or lord of the rings but it can happen anywhere and i was wondering for you when you joined in to near automaton since you've been going to the concerts and your presence on twitter um, being open to you know reception of any feedback from anyone who stumbles upon you what has your experience been in working with the near fandom and what good and what bad have you seen there
2: for the most part it's actually been pretty positive Yeah, I haven't really, like, no one's ever, like, been mean to me necessarily or said anything crazy. Like, people have been really welcoming, and I get fan messages all the time, like, oh, I love your voice, and you're amazing, and The Weight of the World is my favorite song. So I've had a really positive experience. The only, like, really negative experiences that I've had is just, like, maybe randomly on one of our videos on YouTube from our concerts. People may be saying negative things or just, you know, like saying like, oh, they don't like Weight of the World or they feel like maybe Amy should have saying the entire soundtrack or just something like that. But, um, you know, I feel like everyone's entitled to their own opinion. So, of course, there's going to be some resistance in some areas, you know, but it, it actually doesn't bother me. Like when I see comments like that, I'm just like, OK, you know, the fact that they're even talking about me at all is, you know, <laughs> it says I must be doing something right. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Absolutely. We'd like to transition away. You know, we've been talking so much about your presence in video game music, but we're aware that you have recorded some pretty solid original work. Um, and we'd like to talk about some of those songs. And I think one of them you either released, or at least we're working on around the same time as Nier Automata. It's called Black Girl Magic. And there's a music video for it that we're going to have in the show notes. Um, awesome,
3: yeah. And
1: yeah. I'm kind of wondering, one, how did you balance working on that song when you were also doing all this other stuff with Nier Automata, and what has what has the response been to that specific piece, both the audio and the music video?
2: Um, so actually, everything that I did for Nier Automata was actually um, we pretty much finished that in 2016. So okay. my schedule was pretty much completely free, uh, besides maybe like some shows here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I released Black Girl Magic in 2018, and as well as the music video. As far as the reception goes, it's been pretty positive. I imagine maybe some people might feel, um, I don't know, excluded or something in some way. But I, I haven't, I've been lucky enough to not see those comments. But it's been all love for the most part. People have been really supportive and they said that they really like it. So
1: can I ask you just as a quick follow-up what you mean about some listeners might feel excluded by this song. I think I know what you mean by that, but could you clarify a bit for our listeners?
2: Sure. Because the song is called black girl magic, you know? So for for me, my goal was to uplift black women in a, in a society and climate where we're kind of not celebrated, you know, or like we Mm -hmm. don't get certain opportunities, that kind of thing. So maybe I know some people like, cause it did get some dislikes, like with the, the music video and uh-huh. I'm just speculating maybe.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, it might be
2: because like, it's like, Oh, well, you know, if you're not a black woman, it's like, Oh, maybe the song isn't for me kind of thing.
1: Oh, I love that you're saying that. So that's what I was thinking. <laughs> there's this incredible Saturday night live sketch called the day Beyonce turned black. Um, ah, I saw that. Yeah. It's, it's really classic. And there's this part where they're listening to it and, you know there's all these white people standing around like i don't know what what does this mean and they're like what beyonce is actually black uh she's so mainstream how could she be black and then i specifically remember like cecily strong stands up and she's like i got something in my bag swag what does that ah, even sauce. mean
3: yeah hot thoughts in my bag swag
1: and what does that even mean and then one of the guys is like i think this song isn't for us and then another guy screams and they're like freak out and they're like but everything's for us yeah that was a good one
2: that was a really good sketch
1: it is a good sketch and I think maybe maybe for some listeners like that's the feel they get but I think for me as boring cis white guy it's important to recognize that like yeah you might not be the target audience for something and if you can't learn to appreciate something that you might not be the target audience for it, then you haven't developed enough empathy to understand what it's like for someone who doesn't have much positive representation in media to Mm. consume a lot of mainstream media for whom they weren't the target audience or they weren't being represented and learn how to cope with that, which, you know, for I think a lot of marginalized populations, they've been doing since early childhood, so maybe it just comes naturally to them. And I feel like uh, we all need to learn how to appreciate that like that's what multiculturalism is is being able to Absolutely. listen to something that isn't necessarily made for you and find the good in it and go oh yeah i can see how this is good and Absolutely. that's, you know for me i you know i think black girl magic is a great song but i am Thank not you. a black girl and i still <laughs> dig it
2: um, and, and you know what there's there actually is an overwhelming like outpouring of support from like non-black audiences and i really appreciate it I do. I was about to say, I'm so glad to hear the reception's
0: been so positive. And yeah, go listen to the song. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much.
1: Another single that you released, I believe more recently, is BAE. All mm-hmm. caps, B-A-E. And that one's gotten a fair bit of traction as well. I didn't see... Is there a music video for that?
2: There actually is not. And there's a reason for that. Um COVID. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's what i thought yeah. because I, I dug around for it and couldn't find anything and then i thought oh i bet they couldn't film anything in the last year yeah. um which we, okay. we
2: we could have but i'm keep in mind like i'm not i'm not a signed artist like so everything that i'm doing i'm doing completely independently like funding everything on my own and um i haven't been working pretty much for the most part this year like I, i've had a few gigs here and there but yeah like it costs money to make you know music videos so budget has been pretty low and then of course also had we shot a a music video we would have had to have gotten really creative
1: yeah so yeah a lot of limitations uh if Mm -hmm. you want to do that kind of thing this year
0: that makes me that makes me immediately want to ask how can we best support you
2: um
1: yeah you got a patreon or anything (laughs) how can we how can we get this going
2: I am actually, you know, I was in the process of starting a Patreon and I I looked at the website and I just got so overwhelmed. I was like, oh, my God, there's all these all these options of like, you know, packages that people can support you with. And I'm just like, OK, I'm going to do this. And then I was like, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest. What? We're- <laughs> We're kind of navigating oh, that for our site right now as well, kind of looking oh, yeah? at that, so we, we understand.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's really overwhelming. So once I get that started up, I will definitely give you guys the link so that we can help spread that. Please do. <laughs> for sure.
1: Yeah, and But otherwise,
2: what... uh, in the meantime, just, you know, streaming, streaming Bay and Black Girl Magic. I also have another song that I forgot to mention before. Um, uh, it's called Black Lives Matter, and that was actually um, one... What's the website called? Bandcamp. Yep. Perfect. And so that one you can actually pay for directly and the money will come to me. So, yep. yeah.
0: That, that's something I'll still link in the show notes. Excellent.
1: Yeah. And we'll have it there. You know, and I'm glad you mentioned the song because along with you recording that song, anyone who is smart enough to follow you on Twitter, and that is a wink and a nod to our listeners to follow you on Twitter, <laughs> you you don't hold back. When it comes to your uh, opinions on political and social issues. And
2: thanks for noticing.
1: And a big one for the last, you know, three to four years has been the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, recognition of what happens to marginalized and oppressed people. And the counters from people going, oh, but all lives matter, blue lives matter, and all that nonsense. And I'm calling it that uh, very intentionally. And we're, we're not going to shy away from this if you don't want to shy away from it. Um, Absolutely not. What is, uh, I mean, other than the sort of obvious that you are a black woman, what is it that makes you want to speak out so fervently about these issues?
2: Honestly, I feel like it's my responsibility. To do it like as someone who who has a, a bit of a platform that might be a small platform um but i just feel like anyone who has a platform which sh- you know they should you know speak out about it and um you know i even though i'm in japan and technically it's like i'm home free from it technically like a, a little slightly i guess you can say because um you know in japan police officers aren't killing people you know for being suspected of committing a crime or something like that but i do have family at home i have a brother i have a sister i have two sisters at home um i have nieces and nephews you know my grandparents uncles and aunties cousins all of that friends you know who are black and i just i want to continue to advocate for for them and um you know racism is a worldwide you know epidemic as well so i just i just feel like it's my responsibility to just continue to raise awareness and also correct people when they're wrong. You know, because I feel like if we don't, well, it's, it's kind of a loaded, it's kind of a loaded question and a loaded answer too, because in some instances, it's not necessarily a Black person's responsibility to teach people how not to be racist. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I do feel like um, it's important to kind of put the message out there so that people can have access to it and refer back to it. If that makes sense.
0: Oh, it definitely does. And we just wanted to acknowledge and appreciate everything that you've done in that regard. Cause I think, thank you. Yeah. I...
2: Honestly, I feel like I haven't done enough. I mean, I'm, I'm mostly talking about it on social media, you know, to be honest, a lot of times I feel kind of like hopeless because I can't be at home, you know, with, yeah. with my people uh, marching and, you know fighting for
1: equality what about your experience though you know being in japan there's a lot there's a lot to say about japan and japanese culture you know being a very homogeneous culture and there's sort of this experience that you know americans are a novelty and you can sort of worship them but they're still outsiders and oh uh you know a black woman from uh america that's like and that's a unicorn, right? Like, hey, mm-hmm. we found something special here. Have you had that experience where you're like, I'm appreciated, but maybe not for the right reasons?
2: Absolutely. It's almost like fetishization, almost. In some ways, it works to my advantage. I think because um, a lot of times, I think a lot of the jobs that I've been offered, I, I receive them because I'm Black. And there's the stereotype that all Black people can sing and play sports and
3: dance. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
2: So, <laughs> so, you know, in in America, you know, being in the entertainment industry is very competitive, but in Japan, it's like, if you're black, they, they're gonna, I think you're, you're more likely to possibly get a job in entertainment because you're black, which again, it can be a good thing, but at the same time, it's like, it, it's a double-edged sword.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure
2: it's a, um, it's, its own. <laughs> definitely. And then sometimes you have people look at you when you when you receive a job and it's like, oh, you just got that because you're black. So,
1: yeah. Now, that's that's an interesting dynamic. And the recognition of that, I think, is really important because, you know, whether a bias ends up in your favor or not in your favor, the fact that you're self-aware of that bias and so is everyone else in society can cause a lot of problems. Absolutely. You know, when we when we say something like Black Lives Matter, that means not just you know that you know you live and survive but also that you're recognized as a whole human and not just as something rare or something that we count on to be talented which is um what your experience has been in japan Um, Right. like if you're not recognized as a whole person that can be somewhat alienating
0: right or there to help us
2: right it's crazy because you know I get these opportunities in Japan and like, you know, if I'm singing backing vocals for like Kubota Toshinobu or I, the the artists that I usually sing for, Mm -hmm. you know, Japanese people at these concerts when they see me, you know, back, or not backstage necessarily, but like, you know, leaving the venue or something, they want to take pictures and they want to shake my hand. But then maybe if I'm on the train, you know, they don't want to sit next to me. Or if I'm in the elevator, they don't want to stand next to me or they'll close the elevator in my face because they don't want to ride with me on the elevator or I'm denied housing at an apartment complex because they don't allow foreigners. You know? It's it's crazy.
1: Yeah, and again, you know, it speaks to we we know so much of what's uh wrong with American society, but there are so there's so much different and unique about uh the way Japan does things and yeah, the thing you said about housing discrimination you know that wouldn't i don't even know that a lot of japanese people would think of that as discrimination to be like oh well we don't they do die. foreigners here yeah yeah so
2: it's, it's completely legal completely yeah
1: so that's just uh it's just one of those things where i think people as they broaden their horizons and have a more globalist or multicultural perspective you see like hey the issues may be different but the core problems when you really drill down have a lot of to do with xenophobia and
3: mm.
1: yeah, fear of the other. What Absolutely. who or what are you, and can I trust you? You know that. I think that's what it's been in America for a long time, and Japan just does it differently, but they do it too. So Absolutely.
0: we see it everywhere.
1: Yeah,
0: and and we we appreciate you speaking about your experience there as well. Thank you.
1: And you mentioned, you know, you're doing doing work uh, as a backup vocalist. What would you say, from sort of a music scene perspective? What do you think of the Tokyo music scene or the Japan music scene, as a, as opposed to you know L.A. or Nashville or Detroit, some of the big music or Atlanta, some of the big music scenes in uh, the U.S.
2: I think uh, in Japan, there's a lot there's there's a lot of talent in Japan, but the idols get most of the shine. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, like if you ask someone if they like J-pop, they, they might say no. Cause they're like, oh, it's just like idols. It's really not like there's, you know, like the two artists that I work for, Kubota Toshinobu and I. they're very talented. They make really good music. There's people like Crystal K. There's a really good friend of mine, Aisha. She makes really good music as well. Um, who else? Uh, Pushem, Juju. There's so many good singers in Japan, but I don't think that they get the the amount of of notice that they could because um Japan likes to kind of keep their industry closed off from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So they don't get like that international exposure that they could get like how um Korea does. You know. Yeah,
1: yeah, Korea Korea's blowing up. Everybody and everybody and their mom knows BTS and Blackpink, right?
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. My mom actually has a special obsession with BTS. I'm going to give a shout out to my mom. <laughs> uh she stands jimin so hard uh we (laughs) bought her we bought her a jimin calendar it is 12 months of just jimin Uh that and she needed that and she was so happy so i that's just taken over her life and i'm very happy for her but i'm like man if she knew some of the japanese artists out there but like yeah the exposure is not there as much
2: it's not yeah which i mean there's nothing wrong with you know with the idols i mean there's obviously a market for that as well. And people in the States like it too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that it would be really cool if the distribution of that recognition was more widespread.
1: Yeah. And also like, not just sort of the, like the idols and like the super groups, but like people just making music as they make music. I, th- I-, I know that there's a pretty strong underground jazz scene in Tokyo. Um, oh Yeah a lot of a lot of bars and clubs were like that's what they want is a really solid jazz set for the night you know just maybe just piano drums ups- upright bass and mm-hmm. an incredible vocalist like Janique Nicole <laughs> <laughs> that's or, another thing or, too like or your mom apparently
2: <laughs> yeah that's another thing too like i feel like there's not really much room for foreigners to make it in, in the japanese music industry because they it's like if you're not singing in japanese then they don't really they don't really want to hear it necessarily. Like, so for me, releasing Black Girl Magic and Day, you know, you're not going to hear that on the Japanese radio station or you're not necessarily going to see my album in, like, Tower Records, you know, because I'm not Japanese and I'm not singing in Japanese.
1: That reminds me, though, you said your album. Do you have any plans to release, like, a debut, like, full album anytime in the I yeah
2: I do oh my god I have been working on this album for like three years like ever since like 2018 that was my goal was to release an album but I was just hit with so much opposition and just so many like roadblocks that it just hasn't happened yet but um I'm really really close to getting it done now so within the next few months that's my goal there's to release this album I haven't set a, a release date just yet because um things are still kind of being processed at the moment but as soon as I get that release date, I'm definitely going to make an announcement.
1: Awesome. We'll be waiting for that. Yeah. Just a reminder then to our listeners, you know, if you enjoyed this interview, if you enjoyed, you know, the incredible vocal power that was on Nier Automata, you're going to want to check out Janique's original works. Again, Black Girl Magic, "Bay," and Black Lives Matter are all songs that you'll be able to gain access to from the show notes. And there's even a music video for black girl magic that you'll want to check out. And uh, if you like the sounds you're hearing, you're going to want to follow uh, Janique Nicole on Twitter so that uh, the moment she has that release date for her debut album, you'll know what it is. So uh, (laughs) I'm, I'm doing the shameless plugging so that you don't have to. I (laughs) I, I think you probably have the strength to do it yourself if you wanted, but just as a I favorite. think you're way
2: better at it.
3: Than one, <laughs> I'm I've been shameless- myself, I feel
1: like. <laughs> I feel like you've probably done enough self-promotion. I mean, I can't imagine getting started as an artist without having to do that much work. So if we can carry the load a little bit so that you don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. But um, <laughs> oh,
3: that was good. That's really good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd throw that one in. Uh, you know, we're happy to support you. You know, you have brought some really incredible music that so many fans have, uh, you know, the key moments, the the full aesthetic of Nero Automata would, it, it would be a little flat and it would be missing mm-hmm. something if you weren't Aww. there.
0: Oh, definitely. I, I mean, Thank you.
1: I mean, it, I mean, people know that I straight up worship Emmy and I worship, you know, Monaca and everything that they've done, but... Automata would have definitely been missing something without your presence. And so I think a lot of people are just so thankful for that. And we are thankful for having the chance to catch up with you and hear about what you're doing. And yeah, we're happy to support and get the word out. Hillary, thank you so much. Is there is there something that you wanted to to ask Janique, I think you had something in mind for oh,
0: yes. I have a, I have how a we go out on the show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I have a couple of things in mind. I, I also just want to echo what Pat said a little bit. There's actually been a lot written about how um, Nier Automata is a very dynamic game. Um, and it's it's very interactive. And it, that's one of the reasons it's it's been so highly praised as a game. Is its ability to draw the player into it. And it, it would not have been able to do that without the strong vocals and specifically yours so much Thank appreciation you. and usually on rhythm encounter uh we go out with a bonus track or music recommendations so we will do our best to include all the groups that you already mentioned the j-pop awesome. groups but if you have Thank any you. other recommendations we'd love to hear game music or otherwise
2: man i really wish i could give you guys some game music um suggestions but i don't really play these games that much ah, okay I'm trying to think what, what would I like to recommend? Okay, I'm gonna say this, Doshite by Aisha. That's a really good song. Also, this, why is it so hard? <laughs> I love like it's so hard much to, music. It's
1: hard to limit. You want so, to tell it us is, like 50 it is. Songs it's instead of one?
2: Really yeah. I'm sorry. What, what was that again?
1: I said, the problem is you don't want to limit yourself. You want to name <laughs> off like yeah. 15 songs and it's hard to exactly. narrow it Exactly. Yeah.
2: It's so hard to narrow it down. Because I listen well, to just so much on a daily basis. <laughs> I don't want to like keep running up my time.
1: <laughs> no, it's cool. Dosh that, that means why, right?
2: Yes, it in means Japanese. why. Yeah. It's a really good song. It's a really, really good song. It Basically talking about like, why, like, why did I fall in love? Why did I do this? Like, why did I choose this person to love?
1: Oh, that's cool. Um, It's really good. Should we, I think we can go out on that song then. Is that, what do you think, Hillary? Yeah,
0: that sounds great. Perfect. And I just thought of another question. (laughs) So, because one thing we've been talking about on Rhythm Encounter a lot recently is sampling, how a lot of video game music has been sampled here in the States and how it's getting kind of like a wider appreciation with EDM and even some rap. And things like that. And we we recently learned in an episode that Pat was yeah. on with me that... That's was funny. It was really funny. Uh, a song from one of our favorite RPGs from the PlayStation 1 was actually sampled in a, a Janet Jackson song.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. Are you kidding? That's <laughs> and, crazy.
0: No. I'll Well, I'll give you the link to the song. It's a China love is Please. the song. And so we were wondering, would you ever consider contributing, you know, an R&B track or some other genre to a game and
2: absolutely I would love that opportunity I think that would be really cool
1: yeah I love the idea of doing it in the reverse order where like maybe one of the singles from your full album is then licensed after the fact Mm -hmm. to be put into a game
2: that would be a dream come true (laughs) absolutely oh so I have my other song now oh great so this one is by I it's probably like my favorite song by her it's called beautiful life i think that's a really cool like epic song
1: and you said you do you do um backup vocals touring are you in that studio recorded version of the song
2: i'm not actually um when i when i came on the tour that song was probably a few years old so it's okay that song was released in 2012 i got on her tour in 2016 the same year that i did near got
1: it nice all right, did we want to roll out right about here? I know we have you up like super late.
0: No problem. Yeah, I think. I mean, my only other question is: did you did you grow up listening to a lot of J-pop? Because I know you, like you said, you spent a lot of your childhood in Japan. I
2: did. I, I used to be a really big fan of Utada Hikaru. Oh yeah.
1: Only yeah, used I was to. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't did you know, listen, like. Did you listen? Did you listen to Face My Fears for Kingdom Hearts Three?
2: i haven't like i think like <gasps> after <Uh-oh. laughs> i know after i left japan like i kind of lost touch with a lot of the j-pop that i used to listen to Aww. so i didn't really keep up with those artists but like i i heard utara was like killing it these days and i'm really proud of her because
3: like yeah. my inner, my inner took like a...
2: nine-year-old is like really excited
1: She <laughs> took a long break from the industry after That's her true, mom's yeah. death and oh wow yeah her mom took her own life actually and mm-hmm. fairly I tragic
3: yeah, I have no idea.
1: yeah, and so she stopped recording and touring. I think like five or six years.
3: Yeah, it was a
0: long while.
1: And uh, wow. yeah, and then after she, came, it wasn't long after she came back that they released the opening and ending singles for Kingdom Hearts Three. There's the second song, the the ending song. Don't think twice. Is actually that might really be up your alley. That's a very soulful piece. Hey. Um, I was
0: gonna say I'm gonna link these. I'm gonna have it's to. It's got
1: me. <laughs> It's what did
2: you say a, the name
1: of it was again don't think twice it's sort of this jazz swing in a six eight rhythm like it's really good and you know she does all of those kingdom Hearts songs she has an english version and a japanese version the english version mm. is just like so solid it's like crazy good
2: i found it oh i'm gonna listen to it for sure <laughs> let us that know my you like Oh, absolutely! Yeah, that might have the to be o- like my next cover, like that I do or something. Oh, it'd be if, a good one, I oh, think.
1: you should you should cover it. Thanks, all thanks
2: for things. giving me these ideas. I really <laughs> appreciate
1: it. And then this is crazy, but the opening track "Face My Fears" she collaborated with everyone's favorite or least favorite. Gosh, what was that term that I just lost the name for? It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't
0: EDM, was it?
1: No. No, the crunchy synth-based manipulation. Oh,
0: um, right, dubstep.
1: Yeah everyone's oh. favorite at least favorite dubstep musician Skrillex. Oh, she
2: that's worked, really interesting.
1: She worked with Skrillex on Face My Fears and you can definitely okay. hear it in the mix of the chorus. But I
2: actually found that EP as well. When I looked up um Don't Think Twice yeah. that Perfect. popped up as well. So um, Yeah, it's a good one.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, I think you'll like it. But Don't Think Twice especially just like Oh, you would kill it too if you sang it. Oh my gosh. Thank you.
2: <laughs> it's so sweet like i'm i'm really like just feeling the love in this interview and i really appreciate it well, especially just... in a time like this like it's i need it like i really need it so Aww. thank you so much well thank oh, well, you You, just, it's it's nice. really you deserve me. it
1: <laughs> you deserve all the thank love you. you've you've made something you've made something special but we know you're going to keep making lots of really special things so
2: thank you i really hope so I, I really hope that once the album is released that like people like it just as much as, as they've liked Blacker Magic and Bay are really much more so, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. That'd be I great. hope
3: so too. Thank All
2: you so much. Right. Yeah, thank
0: you. Yep. We don't want to keep yep. you up any longer, but much appreciated. And have a good night. Thank you. You too. All
2: right. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye. <laughs> and there you have it. We hope you enjoyed the interview. And as for housekeeping items, just announcing what's next for Rhythm. We have an episode on beginnings and endings. So it's opening and ending themes. And we're also going to be having a Bravely February. So look out for that. And please, now that we're at the end of this episode, check the show notes because there are a lot of great links to Janique's work, music, and various things we referenced throughout the interview. So please don't forget to check that out. And if you have any questions or feedback, we welcome that. And you can send that to music at rpgfan.com. We're going to close out by listening to "Doshte" by Aisha. Enjoy. <laughs>
3: どうしてどうしてどうして Why did I fall in love? どうしてどうしてどうしてどうして did I fall in love? Now this year, I'm not alone I know why I'm feeling blue The wind blows away I want to see I don't know For God, why is どうして? Why do we fall in love? どうして? 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 Why do we do no, do I really need it oh? どうして? どうして? Why did I fall in love Why did I fall in love Why do we fall in love Why do we fall in Okay, I'm going to do this. And then I was like,
2: I'm going to take a nap.